meeting every Saturday uh, for the past six weeks and and now Sundays for the past two weeks, purely out of we just love doing this room. I mean, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm dating Tyler every day now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate to uh, I hate to bring a context to the dating party, but uh, Taylor and, and everybody, Cal and uh, Cheryl, you realize that uh, at the moment one of the most important uh, sporting event uh, uh, for 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 the world, uh, particularly for Europe, is on right now. I mean, England yeah. is playing against Croatia. Yeah, in the first half actually went to zero zero draw. <laughs> and, uh, normally, tech people love football. By the way, <laughs> just want just want to mention. There's a reason why we're all here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least why I'm here. So, sadly, I'm also here. <laughs> can can multitask. That's the beauty yes, of uh, yes. Clubhouse. We, we can watch the score at the same time. Yeah. And then um, yesterday we met, and again, it's an un, unofficial Saturday gathering. It was one of the best gatherings we ever had, and it, it got up to 900 folks, and we went for four and a half hours. So it's um, it just keeps getting better and better. And so this actually, this week, the past week, because we've been doing this for about three, a little over three months, four months now, this past week was actually the one of the best weeks uh, we've ever had. And there was so much news that happened each day that I thought it would be fun to circle back and just reflect on everything that I know this sounds crazy, but like so much happened in the past seven days that it's almost worth reflecting on and seeing if some of these bigger stories over the past week or two fit together in ways that we didn't, you know, using, I love using this jigsaw puzzle metaphor because these little pieces snap together and form bigger chunks. And then these bigger chunks fit together in unobvious ways and um and of course there's new headlines today like there always is but i just wanted to thoroughly go back and do a reassessment of the stuff that's been coming fast and furious over the past few days we can f- start of course as always by I'll, I'll do some quick headlines that are on on that are breaking but i thought <clears throat> we could go through the people on stage and anyone in the audience who just to share whatever they thought was the biggest story of the week um, because there was a whole bunch of them. And I imagine it could be different for everybody because there were so many of them. And of course, we started the week on Monday with the fantastic Apple uh, annual live stream keynote with, you know, the CEO, Tim Cook, uh, sharing the vision for our app, where Apple's going for the next, you know, year or such and highlighting, just dropping bombs. They had a, their own two-hour event live stream we were gathered here just as we are right now, listening to the live, watching the live stream together. And that was a jam packed two hours. I mean, there was not 10 seconds of, of if you were to rewatch it again, you couldn't cut out 10 seconds of that thing. And it would take us more than two hours to mention everything they did showed in that two hours, just to highlight just how uh, information dense and how rich uh, it was full of fantastic features and everything. <clears throat> and I think people are already starting to download the the new versions of all the new operating systems because essentially they released the new operating system for the watch, the phone, the laptops, the TV, the and and whatever other devices I'm not thinking of. I mean they're and they're unifying all of the operating systems now finally, which by the way I predicted about an hour before the event that that would be one of the the big um, reveals this year was that they're finally got all of these operating systems working seamlessly with each other, both visually and functionally. And boy, it, that that prediction came true. 
those and that's quite a feat actually to get everything working perfectly synergized across all the devices um and yeah so that we started the week with that and then we where we are today on a sunday there's a couple of big headlines that i'll jump into right away one of the first is from the financial times and luckily we have kai on stage who's um uh, knows a thing or two about china and um it was kind of a big china was quite uh mentioned quite a lot in the news this week and this article that just came in from the financial times is kind of interesting and i'm i, I want to take advantage of the having some chinese friends on stage to to help help us uh confirm what this headline is um suggesting it says a new generation of young workers at china's technology giants is demanding an end to to harsh working condition, harsh working conditions, and the nine nine six work culture, and what they what the nine nine work culture means uh, for those outside of China, is uh, I believe it was nine, Jack nine, Ma. Six, China. So, nine, I'm nine, sorry. Six. Yeah, nine, nine, nine six. Yes, Cheryl. Thank you. Nine nine six, and what nine nine six means? I believe it was Jack Ma who popularized it. Uh, that they work from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week, so 12-hour days, six days a week, and the no doubt that seems unsustainable. Although they've been doing it for many years now, but the report from the Financial Times is that now um, people are pushing back on this. They want to, uh, and by the way. Similarly, in the U.S., we saw headlines this week of Apple's Tim Cook. Uh, wrote a letter telling everyone to plan to come back to the office starting in September, where they would come back for three days a week, uh, Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. Wednesdays and Fridays were optional. You could work from home if you choose. And there was apparently even some pushback from the American Apple team members on that. Uh, So this is not a Chinese issue by any means. But I I thought it was interesting because China is renowned for this, you know, fast and furious work ethic um, and this 996 work culture. But I was actually kind of surprised. I wasn't surprised to see Americans not wanting to go back to the office and telling their bosses not we're not ready to go back yet. But I was hoping that our Chinese friends could add some color, some context, some insight perspective to the pushback from a new generation of young workers at Chinese tech giants demanding an end to the harsh working conditions and the 996 work culture. Kai, any thoughts on that or anyone else we should invite to comment? Well, um, I, I generally think that uh, 996 is a, is, a, is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful lifestyle, to be honest. I mean, I work 18 to 20 hours a day. <laughs> 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 what are you talking about? I often have clubhouse, like uh, I, I got off to sleep with clubhouse and the next morning, four hours later, because of um, because of the, all these blocked nodes uh, as a result of hay fever, I wake up and the clubhouse is still shouting. But anyway, uh, to be serious, I think uh, there are two kind of people. One is an entrepreneur, uh, as well as the people who really wants things to happen. And for those people, I think 996 or anything, just not enough. And people will look for whatever opportunities uh, to actually get ahead and um, and uh, at the expense of health and family life and uh, romance and uh, football and, uh, and 
golf and good food. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, you you get people who who establish themselves and um, and 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 once once the, the basic human pattern is that once you're able to feel the basic need, you're looking for something higher, and uh, you will find that in order to to be uh, in better state of mind and state of health, and um, you want to actually have a more healthy lifestyle and uh, and kind of like um, uh, kind of be in more tune, be more in tune with some great things happening in life. So I think just different stages um, in life. I think what you will find is that in Europe, uh, you, you have lots of people actually more in the second category, and uh, and in China, and uh, lots of people in the first category, and in the US somewhere somewhere uh, in between. So um, um, I don't I don't I'm not worried about NSX. I think gradually people and um, and society and communities and company they reach equi equilibrium uh, to itself. So I think uh, whatever you observe from China and from India. Uh, is uh, is at this particular stage in time, and um, and what I think, I think human beings is essentially the same. Once you uh, establish a beauty of material, uh, basic material wealth, you are going to look for other things, and uh, so yeah. So uh, I am sadly still on the ladder. <laughs> Hopefully, that's an encouragement. For Kai, just on a just on a just to be specific on that, just a little bit of question: Are the dynamics different in a growing, uh, hungry? Uh, you know, uh, kind of fairly competitive for the young people kind of country or, or place in China. From my experience when, when I was working there is, you know, people had a sense, and this was about 10 years ago when I was on the ground there a little bit with our business. Um, uh, there was this kind of sense that we're going to miss out on the future. We, you know, we have to work 24 hours from the individuals and, and particularly the younger people. And then the pressure on them as well from their peer group and and the, and the companies. So there was a sense that was, uh, uh, you know, it, it's not all the same all around the world. There, there are there are nuances and differences, right? And and, and I'm just wondering in China, are those some of the, some of those dynamics uh, changing, moving around? Are they the same? Well, I mean, as you're a cow, you, you're su super intelligent. I mean, you you already partly answered the question that you're asking. Um, what you have in China is basically you you grad you grade the, the society number one a cut, a cut, you cut it through by seventies eighties early eighties late eighties early nineties uh, late nineties and now the millennials and uh, you you will find that the millennials are very interesting because they they are typically a result of one child policy and in bigger cities these guys are born with uh, four or five houses to their name and they they effectively have a personal wealth of um, of twenty million. Uh, RMB or at least two three million dollars uh, to their belt, so they don't have to work hard. So they have chance to to actually uh, request uh, for for more respect. And um, while you have the older generation who is used to actually fight from a position of position of disadvantage, and the second is uh, is geographical um, a cut. I mean, um, in China, I mean the super cities like Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen, Guangzhou, Hangzhou nowadays. And and uh, to a certain extent, Nanjing, Zhongning uh, Fold, and Chengdu Zhongning Fold. I mean, the people in these cities, especially the working class, are very different from the third tertiary city and 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 it's like uh, and and. And bottom level cities, and um, so uh, the, the the spread in China is is, is immense. And sixty percent of Chinese workforce still have very low salary, while the the kind of like top of the range, uh, they are more developed than London. Their 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 spending power is much far, uh, much more than uh, than than the London or possibly Tokyo to, to to that matter. So I think you, at the moment China have this uh, 
really kind of like uh, extreme in terms of um, the difference between uh, people. So this this is actually one of the issues that has to be addressed. And um, but it's not easy. And um, I think um, all the countries are trying to address this, but nobody have a particularly good format. Uh, it starts. It needs an integrated effort from education, from 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 philanthropy, from social engineering, from good governance, and from internationalization. And uh, there are lots of issues. And uh, but I think um, what, what you generally find is that. Um, China will split into different uh, parts of China, and they're, they're just very different. And, and, and you will find the people moving between this in search of whatever best for them. Uh, but um, but in but in but in um, super city like Beijing, Shanghai, you basically get uh, and, and Shenzhen, you get you get a bunch of crazy entrepreneurs. They're different, they're super different. And these people, a large percentage of these people, will be in driving seat of Chinese economy, if not uh, international regional economy, uh, within the next uh, three to five years. And uh, and then the rest of China um, it, it will catch up and will adapt. And uh, you also see a big resurgence of uh, of traditional culture, renaissance of traditional culture. A traditional Chinese culture, by the way, later is really beautiful. You basically drink tea, you listen to um, slow traditional music, you, you engage in dancing, you 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 draw you you draw picture. I mean, that is super super comfortable and cliche life. <laughs> but the other side of, of Chinese life is uh, when you get in some force come factory, you just work, work, work. And uh, it's quite interesting. I think, um, I think it's, it's a great, um, I think we, we all should actually observe um, what's happening in China. And uh, this, to a certain extent, is happening um, uh, like five or 10 years later in countries like Vietnam and, and in different regions of Malaysia, Indonesia, and, uh, and possibly uh, Africa. So, um, um, so anyway, and in the meantime, China is actually competing head on. Um, with against US and Europe uh, in terms of creative economy. So, um, so in, in fact, uh, I, I'm currently advising quite a few UK and uh, and Australian and Canadian startup to to go to China to set it up because the market is big. So we have a, a tremendously complicated, exciting social and cultural mounting pot currently happening in China, in Chinese diaspora, and also in the in the entire East Asian region. Really worth joining, and um, I think yes, I, I certainly. Would, um, would would come to this room often, and I think Taylor and Carl, you're wonderful moderators, and uh, Cheryl, you know you know a lot, and um, yeah, together let's uh, let's make the observation and um, let's join yeah, in this. Yeah, but can I ask you a question? Um, because you mentioned that you're you're now helping many countries to go into China, but uh, recently, uh, China has uh, you know uh, just uh, well uh, passed uh, anti sanctions laws uh, that actually allows them to have a lot of power over the uh, foreign companies in in China, including the data. Uh, what, is, what, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I think it's very natural, to be honest. And um, I, I don't think, um, well, I, I certainly don't have evidence. I'm a British. I don't have evidence that the uh, Chinese government is using this against uh, British companies so, or, or international companies or such. Of course, I understand people's concern. Um, but of course, uh, you know, Apple is working in China quite happily. And uh, so they, you, you can ask the same question to Apple. And um, um, certainly, we are, are very happy to share our data because we, we provide content. Um, oh, that is, I mean, uh, malscience.com. Uh, um, I, I think people, obviously, you could choose, like Google, you could choose to completely sit out of uh, what's happening in China, or you could be similar to Apple and Lenovo uh, to really do, to be fully engaged of what's happening in China, or you could be 
um, a, a, a Microsoft you observe, but you engage in, in the testing water. I think I think time will tell which um, um, which one would yield uh, most uh, in, in the in the great global economy because you, you you want to make sure that you set up your corporate uh, social uh, and, and data and uh, privacy pos- uh, policy so that you'll you'll be well accepted in the US and Europe as well. Um, there's no simple answer on that, Cheryl, but um, I think I'll. Um, my, my, my general attitude is that uh, I would embrace our opportunity in China and, um, and I would tell the Chinese local government and central government of my concern. And I expect them to actually answer these concerns so that uh, I can grow my partnership with China. Uh, but of course, uh, other people like uh, perhaps Justin would hold a different view. And, um, but I think this is all to be respected. I mean, that's why we have this uh, forum so that uh, everybody is free to, to express our opinion. And I hope, that, I, hope I kind of answered your yep. question, Cheryl. Uh, yeah, that was great. Um, is it Jeff? Is it you? Yeah, Jeff, welcome to the stage. I saw you had your hand up, and I guess it's relevant to your bio, uh, which I'll just quickly share with the audience. As a American business trade president in Taiwan, doing exports from Greater China, American residing in Taiwan for over two decades, much knowledge of China-Taiwan uh, business coaching. Um, so you had your hand up. I guess it was relevant to the, the conversation we're having. Well, actually, uh, yesterday was probably a little bit more relative, but there were so many people in the room. Um, Basically, I just want to let everybody know here that if you have any questions uh, regarding about Taiwan, Taiwan business, uh, semiconductor industry, uh, politics, things like that, uh, you're free to ask me, um, you know, whatever you want. I've been here for, for two decades and and uh, I think I'm fairly well up to speed on, on a lot of the stuff that's going on here. So that's kind of what I, I wanted to chime in on. And, and uh, you know, everybody's uh, welcome to ask me. I'm Jeff and I'm done speaking. Thank you. Are, are people post? Well, you guys didn't really have COVID until relatively recently. Uh, and I think if there was an Olympics for COVID, I mean, the Olympics were canceled because of COVID. And if, if COVID itself was in some way a sort of replacement for the Olympics, and I don't think they're... I don't think there ever was a better way to measure, uh, get a get a real sense of how well each country is really doing than COVID. Um, and Taiwan certainly came in the gold or silver globally for their response to COVID. Um, but now that um, the the end, not the end, but kind of the we're over the hump, as we might say, with COVID. Um, do you this headline that we are touching on about people going back to work and people are starting now that we're over the hump and people are looking forward to returning to a somewhat of a life of normalcy again. Do you think people are reluctant to go back to the same pace that we had pre-COVID in Taiwan specifically? Well, right now, everybody's kind of staying at home. Um, you know, we started having a breakout here because some some pilots and some uh, sex yeah. Uh, how to say that? Uh, I think you guys have read the news. So you understand yeah. kind of what's going on and how it started. Um, right now, a lot of companies they they're basically they're forced to work at home unless you're you know you're you're absolutely needed. Um, and a lot of companies just were not prepared for it. And, and this is something that that's kind of irritated a lot of people here. Um, is that the government seems actually didn't do anything to prepare for this, and and they made everybody think they did. Um, but they didn't. And, and the companies, you know, they're following government and, and they didn't prepare. They had they had a year to do something and, and they didn't. Um, now, some companies like big tech companies, Google and, and Dell and, and these international companies and stuff like that, they um, they were starting to work at home 
uh, probably last February, March, April, when we first started having cases here. Um, and those companies are, you know, they're more integrated in, into the system. And, and, and a lot of those people that I've talked to, they, you know, there's half and half. There's a lot of people who want to go back to the office because they feel they're, they're more efficient, especially in banking. Um, they, they're more efficient in the office. They don't have to call. They don't have to spend so much time on the phone and, and stuff like that. Um, but then there's the other side that, that they, they prefer to work at home. They can be with their kids. They, they you know, they can do whatever they want, but uh, a lot of people are kind of, they, they have mixed feelings about a lot of, a lot of this right now. And we don't know how long this is going to go on. My mm. estimate is sometime probably to the end of the year because we cannot get vaccines and China plays a, a role in that. It's, you know, it's a tug of war between the U S and China. So, uh, you know, it's anybody's guess whether they're waiting for local vaccines to be, you know, produced and, Developed, and all yeah. this kind of stuff. We, we don't know. Right. Yeah. And there's two big companies right now that are doing it, but um, I, I think a lot of people are going to want to go back to the office. Okay. Um, you know, in Asia, especially. Well, I, I ask uh, because there's, there's, work. Yeah, I, I exactly the point. Yeah, people work double. Uh, the people outside of Asia don't know. Like, yep. if it's double time over there, and it's yep, part yep. of you know part of the appeal of it actually for a lot of people is the pace, right? So the um, yep. and the results speak for itself. I mean, the de- the rate and the speed of development over there really. I mean, you just look at the skyline and look at Shenzhen. Holy shit! You want to blow your mind? Watch a time lapse of Shenzhen. Over the past twenty years, it's just it seems yep. un, it seems un, un it seems impossible, um, and it and it borders on it, it borders on impossible. So anyway, the um, the uh, the reason I ask is because there's a journalist named Yunita Ong, sorry Cheryl Tay, who writes for Insider uh, in the Asia Bureau, and this article went a little bit viral where she says that some Chinese youth have had enough of the rat race, the solution laying down, they call it, or lie flat, which is obviously some English version of uh, Mandarin for the lie flat. Uh, And she says she interviewed several youths, most of them based in Shanghai, about why they've chosen to, quote unquote, lie flat instead of joining their peers, pulling 996 working hours. And I'm wondering if, if that phrase or if that, sentiment has is in taiwan as well or is it just is it is it a journalist trying to make a story that isn't actual real which by the way that happens where where you get journalists trying to create kind of narrative memes i mean everyone knows the viralness of visual memes of course you know kind of graphic memes but from time to time you get journalists trying to create stories into memes that aren't actual real cultural shifts it's you know a group of small people doing something and do they start fanning the flames on it and i don't i'm just trying to get a sense for if if this is actually a cultural shift starting uh as she's saying or is it a tech journalist just trying to um you know make a headline that isn't legitimately a, a cultural shift uh, Jeff, again, um, I think it's possible to have this kind of thing happen in China. Uh, you know, with the communist regime, they, they can basically tell you what they're going to do and, and they're going to do it. Um, but in Taiwan, I have not heard anything uh, about that at all. I mean, the hours that people work here are just incredibly nuts. Um, 
and and it, it filters over to to we foreigners too. It, it's um, you know, we end up staying up late and stuff like that. But no, I, I haven't uh, heard anything uh, about a, a lower work hour or anything like that. I mean, mm-hmm. in China, yeah, I, I would I would say that it's it's very possible that 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 they can that they can do that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, can I help, uh, Taylor? Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, actually, um, I, I just want to bring the culture um, background into this. Um, this is actually unique to, to Chinese uh, culture. It's actually a, a way of satire, to be honest. Is that you? You suddenly see the uh, kind of like um, uh, appearance of uh, of this kind of term, and um, it, it's almost like rap music. Yeah, it's uh, it's the people just want to take a piss, and uh, without. Uh, Touching the sensitive uh, waters or stones uh, politically, and uh, in terms of the kind of phenomenon, actually in Japan and Taiwan, the, the, there is another term called, um, if I translate directly from Chinese, like eating the old. So it's basically a lot of young people. You find that uh, they they can't find job and they kind of like uh, become uh, kind of like a, a negative cycle into their self isolated lifestyle. So eventually, parents are looking after them. They they stop they stop trying basically. And uh, and it, it does happen um, to a certain to a certain degree in Taiwan and Japan. And uh, there's also a, a satire term called um, called um, uh, the, the, the months. Um, so 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 the monthly poll basically. So at the end of the month, you spend everything. You forget about saving. Forget about long term goal. And uh, you just you just enjoy your your salary. And uh, who cares? I mean, just like eat and drink uh, whatever you can. And um, yeah, but but before the end of month, you you spend all your money, and you have to wait for the, the salary next month. So yeah, forget about uh, entrepreneurship, and forget about uh, financial plan, uh, financial investment. So there's lots of terms like that. But in, in essence, I wouldn't read too much into it. Uh, I can touch. I can tell you that um, as a Chinese, and I, I talk every day with the people in China. Uh, okay. The people are trying very okay, hard, good. and it's it's almost like a satire. Yeah. I appreciate this, but but now you've you've you might be the perfect person to ask about this next headline that's just broke. Uh, China military uses AI to track rapidly increasing UFOs, and this was one of the big stories in the past week or so. That in America, the 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 main um, the biggest American news outlet, uh, sixty Minutes, did this big piece about how the Navy Navy officials have seen UFOs now daily for years, and that today it was reported that um, um, officials are in the Department of Defense are now claiming that these UFOs have even turned off uh, nuclear launch capabilities and turned on when they were off. It turned on and off the nuclear launch capabilities. And uh, all that on top of um, there's a new congressional report that was is, is now happening uh, where the government itself is saying we cannot we know we can say for certain on the records this is not American technology we don't we're not saying we don't know what it is we're not claiming to know what it is but we do know it's not American technology because we don't have any technology that can do anything like this we, and then and- that that leaves one second Chris that leaves Russia and China and then. In the, it, it seems very unlikely that it's Russia. And that leaves China. And then on the question of China, they're reporting that they've been seeing these things very regularly for decades. And China, of course, is very advanced technologically today, but was not 30 years ago, for, or especially 40 years ago. So the fact, but these things were being reported by, uh, going back 30, 40 years now, according to these reports, which means. It's probably not China because they didn't have that technology 34 years ago. And the technology that they are, you know, 
a lot, you know, Ericsson or Nordtel. There's a lot of uh, claims that China, you know, takes a lot of technologies from a lot of you know, 5G from other partners, or whatever. Well, if China has technology related to these UFOs, well, they wouldn't be bar- trying to take tech, uh, intellectual property around 5G if they've got fucking UFOs, now would they? So it's, pr- it's probably not China. It's probably not Russia. The USA is saying it's not us. So what the fuck are these things? So, but and, the, and the, it's <laughs> really funny because they're being very they're being very concise. They're also saying that it's not extraterrestrial. So I guess maybe under the sea. I, I, I'm just like smiling that uh, people always uh, go to the more polarized view that uh, the world is either US or Russia or China. I mean, come on, you're forgetting that the uh, United Kingdom still exists. I mean, we still yeah, have a lot of I, I, and I don't, here. I, I, I mean, no, disre- I mean, no, like no, really no disrespect to, to US, <laughs> yeah, UK, no disrespect to our Israeli friends. I mean, let's, uh, we could include Israel as well, perhaps. But the, the headline from the South China Morning Post, very reputable paper, Set, perhaps one of the most reputable papers in the region. China military uses AI to track rapidly increasing UFOs, which is, that's intelligent. Let's use AIs to track these things. The people, it says, to the People's Liberation Army, they are unidentified air conditions, quote unquote. And artificial intelligence is the best way to keep up with them. Chinese researchers confirm that sighting reports from across the country are on the rise, but aliens are unlikely to be responsible. And to Chris's point, there also is now more uh, consistent reports that these things have the ability to go from underwater to air to space, all three, which, by the way, we don't have any crafts that can do all three of those things. We, we have a few crafts that can do underwater and air, and it's a really, it's not a very good boat, and it's not a very good plane. It's kind of a really bad hybrid of the two. And then we have things that can do air and space. And then, but normally you make things that are specialized for one of the three, but these things apparently can go from water to air, no problem. And then from air to space, no problem. And it's, I'm just saying, it's a little strange. And I'm wondering if you, if you've been talking to your friends in China, what are they saying about uh, using AIs to track UFOs in China? Okay. So first of all, I will say that, uh, sorry, that was my son, uh, uh, in the toilet. I mean, a bathtub, by the way. And uh, right, anyway. So first of all, um, uh, AI is being used everywhere. I mean, we use AI every day in shopping, in um, in, in the survey internet, and uh, being tracked by Google and Facebook all the time. So uh, anybody is using big data can can glorify it as being using AI. So that's the first point. Second point is that, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, China has become a very prolific country with uh, scientific science uh, fiction. By the way, there's there's a gentleman called Liu Cixin actually knows about him. I mean, he got this uh, uh, novel called Santi. Apparently, Obama is a big fan of Santi. So, three bodies, basically. And um, so, I think uh, I think the, um, the, 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 the what's the word? Uh, the competency of science uh, fiction clearly has, uh, in my humble opinion, um, uh, kind of influenced a lot of uh, journalists, especially the ones of South, uh, South China Gen- South China Channel. I think uh, I think the craft who can kind of like go from 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 land to air to sea, uh, for me, just like uh, defies physics, physics defies quantum uh, mechanics. And um, hey, I love to find out what it is. But uh, at the moment, I'll say, what a fantastic piece of science fiction. And um, it doesn't <laughs> hurt to have some romantic feelings about technology and what's possible. And, uh, so that's what keeps us going uh, through a dull day, otherwise, and uh, and save us uh, from 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 a zero zero draw football match. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, anyone, uh, Chris, what, you had a, another point to make. If I cut you off, or anyone else, feel free to jump in. On, but uh, yeah, keep going. And then 
uh, BB, if you're in the audience, you want to share this uh, DM you sent me, that'd be helpful. But uh, anyone else want to jump in on these Chinese UFOs? Going once, going twice. No one's taking the Chinese UFO one. And uh, BB, if you're, uh, someone sent BB, sent me a DM about the lying flat, uh, the Chinese uh, cultural phenomena. And she's in the DM says, this is a thing happening in China and sent me a link on the Wikipedia in China has a, a page about it, although there's not an English version about it yet. And she says it's happening among the young people in China for real. Oh, here's Bibi here. She's got her hands raised. Here we go. Welcome, Bibi. Are you able to get on stage here? There you are. Uh, I'm, I'm doing my jogging here. So. Okay. Um, for the young generation in China, because of um, the economics, um, we said that Tangping Zhui, that's a line flat, like you said previous. So um, we uh, lay joke or we joke. It's like uh, some grass. So if you grow higher, the CCP will mm. cut you first from the top. So if you lie down and you don't resist the system, so you just um, fulfill some little blessings like uh, uh, the um, after you. I got it. Yeah. So. I, the content is about um, not to buy a house, not to buy a car, not to get married, not to have a baby, and don't consume luxury things, and uh, uh, maintain the lowest life standard. And refuse refuse to be a machine that only make money for others, and refuse to become a slave. That's the in um. The, the inside for this so line. In, in, yeah. in other words, it's like uh, to keep very low under the radar. Yes. Uh, yeah, sure. You, you, you lay in low. Yeah, lay yeah. in low, lay in low. Yeah. In, in well, that is fascinating. Because he made all the money in drug dealing. <laughs> I'm just uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, uh-huh. so that's why they said that. And like even some young youngsters make a song like a black song. <laughs> national song of the lying down but it's in chinese but i can send you the link afterward like tyler yes oh yeah okay send me the song yeah Uh, but thank you for the additional cultural context now it started to make sense it's it's more really like that i'd like to see more i'd like to learn more about that well, come but, to Thailand. Um, come to so just, come come to oh, Thailand, oh. where we've been laying low. <laughs> long, it's not not a new thing here. People have been laying low for a very long time here in Thailand. I, I personally the term is Yang from Thai. <laughs> but I think Tyler, that's your you know you are not forced to lay down. But I think the young generation lay on bill. Um, there's no way out. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you go overseas to get like uh, another countries nationality otherwise if you stay in china you are forced to lay low or you try to be the highest top among the highest top otherwise right let me ask let me ask you this bb is it in some way a in any way a response to jack ma for example who was kind of the superstar that you know a lot of the booming tech companies all around china he was kind of idolized 
and Jack Ma was really looked up to and kind of like the Elon Musk yes, of yes, China. Yes. And then at, after Jack Ma with the, the IPO issues and, and financial and all of this, and now he's, you know, he himself is laying low and as you say, lying down or lying flat. And now it's kind of created a new approach of like, you know what? We don't necessarily want to be the next Jack Ma anymore or the Pinduo Duo founder who also stepped down or the TikTok uh, ByteDance founder who also stepped down. And now the whole new approach is actually we're not going to interested in being the ne- creating Alibaba's anymore. We're just actually going to lay low or lie flat and just keep our head down and lay low. And that's kind of the new ethos, as we call it, the new. It, it's master. a satire. <clears throat> it's a satire. It is okay. that uh, okay. the satire is that uh, if you're a person, don't be too famous. If you're uh-huh. pig, don't be too big. If you're mm-hmm. bird, don't sing first. But it's satire. Yeah. Yeah. There's different countries that have had different versions of this in Japan. They, we use the nail metaphor of the nail that sticks up highest gets hit first. And in Sweden, we have a very similar thing as well. And the whole Nordics does actually. But it's. um. Yeah, different cultures have their ver- their different phrases to capture this same sentiment. But it's interesting to hear the 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 cultural nuance uh, of how it gets reinterpreted and 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 what's the driving thought behind it. But I, I imagine it's yeah, it's interesting. So thank you for the additional. The context. U.S. is almost the opposite, Tyler. Right. Oh, totally. We're like <laughs> jump, jump. We're trying to We're like squeaky wheel gets the grease here. Be loudest. That's yeah. how you win. Yeah. Yep. Squeaky um, wheel gets the grease. <laughs> mm-hmm. Indeed. So um, there's another, believe it or not, um, kind of speaking of Japan and China, here's a Japan and China headline just came out today or a couple of days ago that uh, DJI, also one of the super big Chinese companies, was one, one of the big Chinese companies that America has recently banned. And which I find unfortunate because I absolutely love DJI and their drones. Um, And they are just uh, kind of dominating the field of drones. And there was a report yesterday that their competitor in the U.S. run by Chris Anderson was just acquired by Larry Page, the Google co-founder, just acquired that drone company, which is very interesting because clearly he's doing that because he's going to try and make um, drones that move people around, not just... uh, you know, your your deliveries from Amazon, but actually move you as a drone taxi company that he's creating. And we showed photos about all of this yesterday from our Twitter account, which you should absolutely see because we showed the photos of all of these things. And by the way, if you're new to the room, everything we talk about, we share on our Twitter account in real time live. So I'm now sharing this article about these Japanese uh, and Chinese drone issue live right now from the Twitter account. And the point of this, again, this is from South China Morning Post, so it's a Chinese publication. And they're saying that the ban on the Chinese drones won't stop Japan's drone industry from taking off. In fact, it's actually going to really help it because now that the Chinese drone company, DJI, has been banned, now the Japanese drone companies get to take off, no pun intended. Um, Or maybe there is. This is just a really bad pun. So the Japanese drones have traditionally ride on relied on Chinese electronics and therefore take a kick from the falling. However, of course, they're going to come up with alternative uh, uh, electronics that they can use. And Japan, of course, is not uh, the Japanese drone companies now have an opportunity to kind of take advantage of this 
similar to how when the Australian wine companies were banned by China, now the New Zealand wine companies are booming. So it's yes, this is one of those interesting things that happens during when when things get banned between trade between countries or whatever. But it's an interesting article and an interesting point. So it'll be interesting to see which of the Japanese, which companies out of Japan, you know, you're going to start seeing in VCs and investors in Japan throwing tons of money into drones in the in the near term, no doubt, um, in hopes that one of them will, t- you know, become a, a potential strong competitor to DJI. So um, Poppy, when we were talking about working long hours and the 996 phenomenon in China, sent in an article that is um, from the BBC. And the headline is long working hours kill nearly a million people a year, according to a study. Uh, Long working hours are killing hundreds of thousands of people a year, according to the World Health Organization. The first global study of its kind showed that 745,000 people died from stroke and heart disease due to long hours. The report found that people living in Southeast Asia and Western Pacific region were the most affected. The World Health Organization also said the trend may worsen due to the coronavirus. Ah, maybe that's got something to do with why people are kind of a little bit lax to going back to full speed after after corona because if anyone who had corona actually might not be they might be a little more they might have lost a little bit of their fitness so to speak that there there might be something to that that's really interesting huh i had not considered that so anyway tweeting that one out thank you for that one poppy and by the way that's how tech news around the world works is while we are talking about a topic or sorry it was chetna who found that article thank you thank you chetna um while we talk about topics people on stage and in the audience are finding related headlines and tweeting those in and what do i mean by tweeting them in well they tweet from their own twitter account which we encourage you to do any article that you think we should check out and you can let us know that it's a good article by simply including our twitter account as part of your tweet which is simply t-n-a-t-w which is mysteriously the first letters of tech news around the world, T-N-A-T-W. It's absolutely magic how that happened, but that's the Twitter account, T-N-A-T-W. Uh, that's something that's just occurring to me. What's that? That that connection you just made. Yeah, isn't that a bizarre coincidence? And by the way, those of you who might be joining us, no doubt I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, my God, this is a beautiful audience. And you're right, it is. And not only that, it's also the most intelligent audience that you will find in Clubhouse, hands down. And you, too, can be beautiful and intelligent if you join the Tech News Club. And how do you do that? Well, it's very simple. I'm glad you asked. You click on the title of the room where you'll see the Tech News Club, and then you can follow the Tech News Club. And boy, oh boy, does a whole new world await you when you join the Tech News Club. Not only would you be more beautiful, more wealthy, more successful, and more happy, but your mom will love you again. That's what people are reporting. Uh, your your experience may vary, but we've had people, you can ask the people on stage, JT is flashing. JT, you, what was your experience? Well, I can definitely say that my mom is more proud of me that I am part of the tech news group now. <laughs> yeah, see, that's, but that, that's true of everybody. And let me just say, I know your mom and, and your parents wanted you to be a doctor, and I'm sorry that it didn't work out, and I, I'm I'm partly responsible, so I want to apologize. So, but we have something even much better. 
you can join the Tech News Club, and I promise you, your mom is going to be equally as proud as if you had become a doctor, because that's just how amazing the Tech News Club is. And some of our members are reporting uh, that their IQs go up, and we even have a few members who said their credit score up. We had one gentleman actually grow three inches after joining the Tech News Club. We have several people who have lost weight in as height. a result. In height. Yeah, yeah. In height, some people yeah. are growing, you know. <laughs> A few centimeters, people are losing pounds. It's a fantastic situation. So we encourage you to join the Tech News Club as well. It does, but it, it results it's do such vary, a, right? It's such a new it's such a new phenomena. It's like COVID. Nobody fully understands it. So no we don't one know really what the side it's, it's effects like, are. It's like Chinese UFOs. I mean, no one really understands how it works. But it's real. Oh, it's definitely real. David's David's trying to figure it out. He's he's working on it for us. Yep. I'm just, yeah, well, I'm just glad uh, his mom is now proud of him as, as well. Um, so if you want your mama to be proud, join the Tech News Club and make mama proud. And uh, that's how it works. It's that simple. And by the way, today it's free. For today and today only, it's free. You can join for free. No, no cost at all. Uh, that's on us. Uh, you're welcome. And uh, thank you for joining the Tech News Club. So other fantastic headlines floating around that somebody just tweeted in and I retweeted is... This somebody named Jack Dorsey. Apparently, he's the CEO of some startup called uh, Twitter. Anyone heard of this thing? So Twitter was banned in Nigeria this week. That was one of the big articles this week, was it not, Cal? And the story continues even today, because just in the past few hours, uh, Jack Dorsey is tweeting out, the people of Nigeria will lead Bitcoin. Hello. And why is that interesting? Well, oh, sorry, wrong, wrong audio file. <laughs> the, the Jack Dorsey tweeting out that the people of Nigeria will lead Bitcoin. He also tweeted out uh, a very cryptic tweet of a, uh, the Nigerian flag shaking hands with like a, two hands shaking and then bit the Bitcoin symbol, meaning Nigeria is shaking hands with Bitcoin or Nigeria is going to join with Bitcoin. And then he does a, a full tweet that says the people of Nigeria will lead Bitcoin. And that's that's really wild for the leader of a very big, powerful tech social media platform to be making comments about a country that he's not involved in. If you do, you, you know what I'm saying? Um, because Bitcoin is a it can, that could be rather disruptive to their economic situation now that there's a bit of a conflict there there by the way there's a bit of a conflict brewing between the current presidency and some other factions and to be making comments at during that time is a little in, disruptive it's I would reckless say. it's, it's a reckless bit, is it not yeah yeah I, because there's the, the country's <laughs> to tyler's point folks the country is experiencing some sectarian violence and to throw any type of gasoline on that fire, especially as a private citizen, not somebody affiliated with a government trying to quell the tensions, but actually do the opposite and, and try and get the people to kind of go outside of the government's uh, grasp here is really reckless. And who knows how it's going to play out. Um, but to Tyler's point, it could have disastrous consequences. So I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if he's. Uh, taking too many shrooms, too much LSD, smoking too much pot, but I think he should shut his mouth. Uh, from my opinion, it's a bit. You're, you're the reckless right. is the yeah, and well, you're responsible. Do you, think, yeah. 
this is Gabby. Let me just let you guys know that Jack Dorsey endorses Bitcoin in Nigeria, but he doesn't pay none of his employees Bitcoin. If he believed in it that much, he wouldn't be paying them in fiat. Pay attention. Maria. Well, that, and also, I was just wondering, didn't you mention, Tyler, that he was thinking about moving to Africa? And yes, that he, he said, said he that would, he yeah. wanted to. Yeah, he was. Yeah, so I'm just wondering if that's like part of a bigger agenda. He, well, he, you know, they, opened, they opened Twitter in, remind me, Cal, which country was it? I keep thinking. Ghana. We, Ghana, it's right. Ghana. Right. He's supposed to be there for six months. There's a whole new art news article about it. I was right. surprised to see him at the Bitcoin conference, honestly. Right. Now, here's where it gets really interesting, because another huge headline this week was that El Salvador's president uh, and the country then voted on the passing of making Bitcoin a legal tender in uh, El Salvador. Right. And then, by the way, there's other new headlines that are breaking. In, is a May on stage? Uh, um, because I saw a May tweeted out that now Cuba is talking about adopting Bitcoin and stopping uh, all usage of the U.S. dollar, which, by the way, they still very much use. When I visited there, yep, I'm yeah. here. Right. So, well, I, yeah, you saw that one, and did you see the one I just tweeted now from the Dutch? No, so you got your answer. You got your no. answer. What? You said they're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> the Dutch financial ministry said that that's not what they're think. That's not how it's going to work. Right. His, the, that guy's boss said, yeah, that's not exactly. Uh, he must have been having beers on the canals. It's been right. sunny. <laughs> so the, here, but here's what's so interesting is uh, I because of the fraternal nature of the leadership of the Latin countries, if if El Salvador adopts it and then Cuba adopts it, they're all very friendly with each other. They go out fishing and shooting Correct. the shit and playing poker on the weekends, by the way, the leaders of these you know, uh, Latin American countries. This is kind of well known. So, and they all, you know, look after each other. They, of course, they have their own squabbles internally. It's, they have their own clubhouse group. You know, it's it's private though. You can't really get into that clubhouse room. But they do very much hang out together, and um, they do have a united sort of um, healthy um, con- concern for you their own relations with the U.S. Let's put it that way. So because the U.S. and the relationship with Latin America has been a bit uh, could have been a lot better. Let's put it that way. And so they stick together. They watch each other's back. And if one of them is adopting Bitcoin, I we even said when I and and we did start to see it. It was only a day later that there was another one. May you probably recalls uh, Nicaragua. Yeah, well, it's it's happening. It's happening in uh, Nicaragua, Panama, Guatemala. Right. And also Costa Rica. Now Costa Rica is talking about it. Cuba is talking about it. And by the way, Cuba will be the first one to say, fuck the U.S. dollar. Totally. Because Cuba, it's not that they hate America, but America really tried to assassinate uh, and do everything they could to shut down Cuba for a very, very, very long time. Um, and so there's a still there's still a lot of resentment there uh, from the current, even though it's, uh, you know, no longer the Castro's are no longer in charge there. Raul will just pass it down to somebody else. But, you know, yeah, Cuba still harbors a lot of resentment for how America ha- dealt with Cuba. And so they would love to get on something like Bitcoin, honestly, if it, that were an, a viable option. So um, if Cuba does and the and the, the fraternal leadership of South and, and Central America does. And then this is why I say at this moment, if 
countries that are having difficulties, here's what I want people to take away from this, of Jack Dorsey doing this incredibly reckless tweet. And I, I got nothing negative on Jack Dorsey. I have no beef with Jack. I think Jack's brilliant. And I have nothing but good things to say about Jack. But this 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 tweet is, I find a little, we need to discuss this tweet, Jack, if you're listening, because the the when a country's uh, having a bit of sectarian violence, um, that is a moment when things like that is an opportunistic moment for to 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 suggest to the people, yeah, hey, maybe your currencies can collapse in those scenarios, and, or certainly weaken, and to remind people at that moment, hey, everybody, now might be a good time to get on Bitcoin. Um, it's a little irresponsible, but now here's my point: is he might have a bit of conflict of interest in proposing this. It's it, Tyler. It could be a I've bit got, selfish, is it not? Yeah, well, I've got something that I found out about Jack, which was from a firsthand. Remember I mentioned on my trip back yeah. that uh, I met Akon's uh, manager, Will I Am, and That's right, on the, fl- on the flight back. That's on right, the yes. flight back. And, and he said and Tony to me, Robbins Jack, and going to Costa Rica. They are going there, and Jack yes. is going to meet Akon in Costa Rica in July. And I'll give you two pieces of information that I will make it as simple as Yip and Yannicka as I can. Jack Dorsey announced at Bitcoin conference that he's looking to get into the hardware wallet business for Bitcoin. That's right. Okay, that's one. Number two. And his own wallet, uh, Cash App, already handles Bitcoin, by the way. Yeah. Correct. Now, no, so then that's number two. Number three, Square. Right. Okay, now we use Square everywhere, okay? So the unique part about it, he's got Twitter, but he's got Square. So I think if I were to, if I were to take a gamble on this one, I think he's going to introduce that wallet. And I think he's going to, he's totally like, I mean, he had like his tie dye shirt on. He's totally like granola, Costa Rica. Right. I totally could see him vibing and vibing with the Costa Ricans. And I could totally see him making a stand to bring that wallet or that experience to Costa Rica. I mean, no, and I'm I, just saying, I, I'm just saying. Can I add to this? Akon? Yeah. yeah. Akon um, just signed a deal with uh, this guy named Jeffrey David, who was leading BitClout Records, and they decided to change it over to Sunrise Records. And a- I just found this out yesterday. And Akon is doing this uh, decentralized merger with a few people. I'm going to find the screenshot. I'm going to send it to you guys. It's all connected. Yeah, Tyler, just a quick added piece. I will be on top of that one in a couple of ways. One is that the manager already asked me he wants to stay in touch because he lives between New York City and London. And he took my phone number. So he is going to communicate with me because he does want to rendezvous in Costa Rica if I'm up for it. And number two, I really have a unique, I I don't know, I just have a feeling that something's going to be happening in the LATAM region. And I did tweet out, Tyler, that there was a unicorn in the LATAM region two months ago. It did happen, bit so. And I tweeted and I shared it with you. So when you start seeing these experiences, as you so eloquently shared, I think people are just getting very tired. I think COVID sort of opened up some eyes wider where the governments are not really taking care of the people as they expected. And I think now you're going to see a lot more movement. But I just feel like we're in. Do you remember the movie? It's a mad, 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 mad world. 
I remember the title. It's a very old film. It's a very yeah. old film. And I just feel like we're in the middle of that. So check this out. So somebody just DM'd me. And if they want to jump up on stage, and or actually I think they might be on stage. And if they want to jump in, of course they can. But they just solved the riddle. Because Nigeria uh, already has the third largest Bitcoin transaction transactions by volume. Uh, of country in terms of countries actually utilizing Bitcoin, Nigeria is very high up on the utilization. And then, similarly, the article that just came out right before Jack's tweet, um, right before Jack's tweet, an article hit CoinDesk, which he no doubt is familiar with. Nigeria's central bank may launch a digital currency pilot later this year. So, shortly after that headline comes out. Jack probably doesn't want Nigeria to go into a digital currency of their own. He would True, prefer but to, Tyler. But, to but, similar but to but a, that, sorry, but that that would explain his, which is, hey Nigeria, stay with Bitcoin because you're already using it. Don't fall for this True. digital currency. Yeah, go ahead. Correct, but the only the only two added pieces that were that was confirmed by the gentleman, he did say that there are or the accounts already working and. The Akon token has already been accepted by four countries in Africa. He said that specifically. And they have been in communication with Charles, with Charles Hutchinson of Cardano. They have been talking with him. And that is correct that Charles is doing something heavy in Ethiopia. So Charles is not bullshitting anyone. He is actively moving on the ground in Africa. And Akon has been present in conversations and dealings there. I will keep you posted because there is a closed LATAM group inside Clubhouse. But as of uh, post Miami visit, I was uh, a young lady reached out to me on my DM on Instagram and asked me to come speak on the stage. So I am going into one of those groups. So and it's going to be in Spanish and English, but I think mostly Spanish. And I, she came to me because I'm female. So I am going into one of those closed groups where they're going to talk about crypto and Bitcoin and what the state of affairs is in Latin America. So I'm happy to bring some information back and also share with them tech news around the world. We need to do it in Espanol. Yeah. Um, this um, this tweet, tweet um, I just want to reassert, I mean, there may, may be a puzzle that will come together and, and, you know, a, a month from now we'll look back and say, what a, you know, I, I get what Jack's, but he's acting like Trump on Twitter. Right. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that's a Trumpish type yeah, of tweet. Yeah, you're a right. Trumpish kind of thing. I mean, I, I, yeah, it's just uh, to Justin's point. It's it's know, very uncharacteristic, very yeah. uncharacteristic. That's what I really I, and I, I as much I'm actually very fond of Jack. I think very highly of him. I almost want to give him the benefit of the doubt that he knows something that we don't. And but on the face of it it's reckless and irresponsible to be kind of meddling in foreign affairs of a country that you by the way just got banned in um i i imagine that has to play some role in this and tyler how much yeah. of squares how much of squares business is in africa i don't know that would be a very to cal's point he i i i think he's i i agree with you tyler i think he's a good i think he has a good intent and i think there's meaning behind this that's why I'm also there's, curious what the square business is. There's one very other important point to bring up on, on this conversation, which is at that Bitcoin event that you were just at, he said on somebody asked him um, and it, he said on Twitter again in the past two or three days, somebody asked him again, what about a decentralized Twitter? And he responded, essentially, it's only a matter of time. And 
If that's the case, then he, of course, of course, of course, he understands the importance of decentralized versus centralized. And how could he be in favor of a decentralized Twitter and and not be in favor of a decentralized Bitcoin? Bingo. So (laughs) this is where it gets really, really, really fucking interesting, because as of right now, the the Bitcoin in its in its essence and jump in here, Ben, was started out as with sort of decentralization in at its heart. And in and, and, and the, the the Satoshi essentially engineered it to for the purposes that it be able to exist in a decentralized fashion. Right? Can we start with that, Ben? Right. Yep. So it's it's safe to assume that he envisioned it to be a decentralized thing. And everything that he has said about it, which is very, you know, in the white papers, gives the indications that he envisioned a, a decentralized solution. So if that's the case, and Jack certainly seems to be enamored with the Satoshi vision of things. However, the Satoshi vision has been bear hugged, ladies and gentlemen. It's been compromised. It's been subverted and adopted and um, bastardized, I would even say, by greed, essentially, where the powers that be are now taking Bitcoin into the hands of the powers that be, the banks and the governments, and they are strangling it and have control of it uh, on you know, the on-ramps and off-ramps, and it's fully under their jurisdiction, under their control. It's essentially no longer really uh, what it was intended to be. So the, and it's these centralized digital currencies are sort of exemplomatic of that. And now here comes Jack. And perhaps Jack is actually going to be the, the, the crypto messiah and actually drive the decentralized Bitcoin. I would probably say that. I think that's actually it. Based on how he was dressed at that Bitcoin event and the fact that he was there and didn't say anything <laughs> exactly. to the contrary and that goddamn beard all of a sudden makes a lot of sense all of a sudden. Yeah, does he, does, he does fall into that picture. But also he remember that the video you could find it, the woman, the MAGA, the Trump supporter that actually went after him about that comment, right. you know, and it was very, she was thrown out. He handled it like so gracefully. Yeah. And but I he was, was like, he, he, he wasn't was the woman, you yeah. guys, the woman's name is Laura Loomer and she's uh-huh. currently banned on Twitter just yeah. to add some context there. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think he, he, he held no animus in his heart towards no, not at all. her point at all. In fact, he probably empathized with her on the point she was really wanting to raise. So that's, that's what I said when, when it went down. I said he was incredibly, remarkably, notably calm Voiced. and. And ready to engage in that conversation. And he said, And you know why I believe you know why I believe that is? Because Twitter hires a lot of contractors to do a lot of the work, like the the diversity, the this, that, the other. One thing Jack cannot stop is when his employees suspend or do something that makes him look like he's censoring certain accounts. He cannot stop that. He has not been able to do it. And the only way he could do it is to go decentralized. And, and they're going to lose their jobs, but it's it's the only way to stop what you know human error. Gabby's a hundred percent correct. This you know is what exactly else? what I totally hear as well, Gabby. You that's know, spot on. 
you know what else is interesting if we keep crawling down this rabbit hole is the fact that when he talks about Bitcoin, he talks about it in the same kind of ways that Satoshi does, which is like how it has this tremendous game changing power, which mm, that's not really what the centralized version of Bitcoin, the, the people who are in, in the process of kind of centralizing Bitcoin, they're not talking like that uh, uh, in the kind of grandiose um, power um, shake up yeah. ways, right? I'm not sure it's being centralized, Tyler. It's moving in the opposite direction, the distribution of wealth. The on-ramps and the off-ramps, sure, you can still mine. You can still, uh, anybody's free to use on-ramps and off-ramps. Nobody's stopping you doing it. Um, it's very free in most countries. Um, once you're on, you, you do what you like. Um, the, there are peer-to-peer exchanges like localbitcoins.com where you can buy off other people. You're still free to get Bitcoin by mining. You're still free to get it by extorting people, stealing it, hijacking things, using ransomware as a service. There's lots of other ways to get it, so... Just, you know, not that I recommend those, FYI. Yeah, I, I mean, the the bigger name players who are um, making moves in the space, um, there's a lot of greed motives. And, and there's the to maintain and to foster Satoshi's vision requires um, a bit of altruism in a way and and, and not being so... You can take a more greedy approach, and there are start uh, no shortage of startups that are just taking advantage of the op- the financial opportunities around crypto and are total it's all it's about making a dollar more than it is about building this decentralized world and there's it's perhaps easier to make money if taking the former rather than the latter it's It's easier to make a quick buck in crypto land by um playing into the hands of the powers that be rather than fulfilling satoshi's vision tyler but it's very interesting tyler this is very interesting though because we could take it a teen sip it down the rabbit hole and take it back to square because square is a payments that's payments and i really believe that the fact that he even said that he's he's in thinking of making a bitcoin hardware wallet i'm sorry i have a feeling he's gonna he's gonna come out well i don't want to use the word messiah but i think he's gonna come out to be a massive supporter because to Gabby's point, I think I think he genuinely wants to do something, but he can't. And I think that's where if he does decentralize it and he does get involved with Square in a hardware wallet, he now could go taking the Satoshi prophecy further, but he can't if he stays in the current state with the with Twitter and stuff. So if he sort of dissolves Twitter and moves it to blue sky and makes it decentralized, then everyone, you know, then it kind of allows him to prophesize on that side. And Square takes all the payment clients with it. So I mean, you know, like literally and Cash App's already doing um, Bitcoin and they could, I mean, it's the ecosystem's there for him. I say good luck to him because he's fighting all the first world countries and then going into the third world countries to sell this other dream. So it's going to be, it's really, <laughs> Gabby, it's a, you're right. That's like, no, yeah, I'm yeah, I also say good luck to him. It's a complete disorder. It's like, and, and, and you know what, you know, one thing I've learned about, about uh, power and people just, just watching Trump and watching just all kinds of phenomena is that you, you start to delude yourself, all human beings, they, the power gets to their head. Now, to some extent, I mean, this tweet, obviously, we'll unravel it and we'll look at it. And there's going to be a genius story at the back end of it, potentially. Or um, he's starting to do some dumb things underneath a, a very strong 
passionate intent around Bitcoin and 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 uh, Satoshi's vision, right? So, but it, but it, but some behavior just starts to look very odd, and uh, um, and that that starts to show the unraveling of of uh, human kind of another, condition. Really. Another midlife um, crisis. How old is Jack Dorsey, Tyler? He's not there. I, I, I don't how old know is how Jack old Dorsey? Forty-three. He look. How old is that? Forty-three. Okay, he looks much younger than that on stage. It's, you guys, it's not a midlife crisis. He's tired of being censored. His damn Correct. self. I agree. Attention. I agree. Yeah, I agree and, with Gabby, hundred percent. And 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 if I see him cease to exist like Jack Bourdain, then I know what's really happening because that guy was living his best life, traveling the world, showing it us to America, and you saw what happened to him. Like, I, that's all I'm going to say. I just Googled and Jack uh, is now 44. So um, it's super interesting. Ben, you just shared a headline about um, DeepMind. You want to jump on that one? Yeah, just, uh, I mean, DeepMind are doing some pretty freaking cool stuff. These are the people who started off by winning at, uh, at well, they've done a few things, but winning at Go, the game of Go, which um, interesting, quick, quick story i backed a kickstarter about four or five years ago and it was it, the idea of the kickstarter was to a documentary to fund a documentary about how computers could never ever ever beat um humans at the game of go um because it's so much more complicated than chess and uh, so i backed this kickstarter and, and just before the bloody thing went live i got an uh, <laughs> the deep mind of course beat, created this machine alpha go that beat the grandmaster of go and he pretty much resigned from the game of go and said that this is like playing a a god and god knows what's going on here and then the documentary people from the kickstarter said oh, we've got to uh, we've got to revise our documentary it's going to be about the history of go now it's not going to be about how you can never be, <laughs> never beat humans at it um i suggest they called it going going gone but i don't think they did that um so it was pretty interesting and that they and then since then they've gone on to do that without uh, without any previous knowledge of any go games just on a desktop computer just sits there and thinks to itself for 72 hours and, and exceeds 5000 years of human accumulated knowledge about go and then the same algorithm can now do the same for chess, the same algorithm, not even tweaked for chess. And the same algorithm can play Atari games. And um, and their approach, their reinforcement learning approach is just uh, amazing. And this this article is just takes it a step further. It's them saying that they think that it can be applied, uh, can be the uh, the thing that we need for general artificial intelligence. So artificial general intelligence. So it's pretty interesting. It's a pretty, and it often gets forget, forgotten. I'm always banging the reinforcement learning drum when people bring up uh, when people bring up uh, machine learning, because they often go, oh, it's all, you know, it's only going to just replicate the biases in the data we've already got. It's like, yeah, well, that's supervised learning or it's only going to, you know, find these weird patterns, but it's never going to do anything novel. Well, yeah, that's unsupervised learning. But remember reinforcement learning. It can do profound things with zero external data, um, you know, never having seen a game of Go, just knowing the rules. It can think to itself for 72 hours and beats 5000 years of accumulated human study. That's pretty amazing. And that was years ago. We're well beyond that. So right. they're the people to watch is, is basically the bottom line. Deep mind. Yeah. And they are, I just retweeted out your article from the Tech News Twitter account, which is T-N-A-T-W, the first letters of tech news around the world. Um, and it's, the headline is Deep Mind researchers say reinforced learning is the key to cracking general AI. And that is the kind of the holy grail in AI is to make uh, this what they are calling general AI. And general AI will not emerge from solving complicated problems, but by sticking to a simple but powerful principle called reward maximization. And they show a little uh, incredibly simple diagram about that. And then it goes into a really nice story as uh, 
about general AI, developing abilities through reward maximization, how humans do that, and how we can make AIs that do that. And um, and there's a YouTube video um, at the bottom of it, and it's a really interesting article. So you can find that on the Twitter account. Thank you for that, Ben. Um, and to yeah, can I just add a couple of sure. couple of really quick things uh -huh. without without boring everybody to death on it? Um, two two more things on it. One is that um, I, I bumped into Dennis Asabis in Cambridge years ago, and uh, at a talk, and one of the things I asked him is, you know, what at what point are you going to let the machines set their own goals? And he said, we're going to be really careful before we do that. But that's another thing to watch at the moment. Uh, we tell the machine what the rewards are, what the goal is, and it goes from there. And it's amazing at it. The bridge we're going to need to be really take a deep breath before we cross is the one where we say, hey, machine, you work out what the goal is. And then you go after it. Um, so that's going to be an amazing chasm to cross. So in fact, that's the main point. So I'll stop. I'll leave it there. Well, that, there's an, an, a, an analogy to that when you are interviewing a very brilliant person on a on stage. If they are far more brilliant than you, one of the best questions you can ask is, what's the best question I can ask you? Because generally they know a, <laughs> what's a better question to ask them than you do. And um, and that's essentially what you're referring to with the AI. It's like, hey, AI, what what should what problem should you solve? <laughs> and said, oh, you silly human, you've been asking me to solve these ridiculously stupid little game puzzles of like chess and go. Here, here's what we should really be working on. And then all of a sudden, it's you know, watch the fuck out. So, um, yeah, really interesting article. And um, about a, a related article that I just found from the CEO of Nvidia is chiming in on this issue because. NVIDIA makes chips that are part of the secret sauce of doing machine learning and also um, building uh, blockchains. And in summary, um, the NVIDIA CEO, his name is Jensen Huang, uh, <clears throat> he's talking about the um, NVIDIA's Omniverse, they're calling it, the metaverse for engineers, and he's discouraging crypto miners from buying its uh, graphic process, <clears throat> from buying NVIDIA chips during the chip shortage, um, assumedly because uh, he feels there's a better, uh, he would prefer that the chip, during this chip shortage, that it be used for other things. So apparently he's not strong on the crypto front and would like it to be saved for more, what he feels are more important things like the, uh, like the, the machine learning work and the uh, metaverse work, kind of the VR work that the NVIDIA is part of. Pardon me, while well, I choked to death on this. Uh... <coughs> wow. And, he, and he's absolutely right on that, by the way, Tyler, while you die, die quietly mm -hmm. there. Um, because, you know, his GPUs are only used to mine secondary coins, and that really is a waste of power, in my opinion. So, mm. um, yeah, he's absolutely right to, to throttle that back. And then, uh, but I just tweeted that out from the Tech News Twitter account, so you can jump into that as well. Another interesting article that's kind of one of the most popular ones being shared. I think Cheryl shared this one. Thank you, Cheryl. Uh, where Instagram's chief uh, named Adam Mos Moseri explains how Instagram decides what you see. They're kind of doing opening the kimono, as we call it, on the algorithm of Instagram, which people even here in Clubhouse, you see rooms dedicated to this all the time. And Michelle on stage is flashing her mic works uh, at Facebook, which is the owner of Instagram. <laughs> and she's no doubt seen those rooms. I imagine everyone in this room has seen the, those rooms here in Clubhouse. And so it says Instagram's chief Adam Moseri shed some light on how the social network decides what you see in a new blog post 
um, that came out this week. The explanation seems to be meant at least in part to combat persistent rumors that Instagram intentionally hides or disfavors certain posts, which Instagram says isn't exactly true. The short answer on how Instagram works is that it's complicated. Instagram uses thousands of signals to determine what you see in your feed, according to Masseri. And there isn't just one algorithm that decides what shows up for you, but the company is also committed to better explaining why context is taken, why content is taken down, and how the service uh, surfaces posts. One of the more surprising revelations: most Instagram followers won't see your post anyway because most people look at less than half of their feed. Now, I found this article myself personally interesting for two reasons. One, we had a conversation very recently about. Um, the fact that the, the one of the absolutely one of the biggest headlines this week is that the U.S. government has just created five new bills like on Thursday and Friday that they are intending to use to limit the powers of the big tech companies, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google. And one of those five bills is all around kind of their data and making their data transportable between services so that you can take your data with you. Uh, between services so that you're not locked into Apple. You can move between Apple and Google and Microsoft and any other future kind of competitors. And by locking in your data, you're disincentivized um, from ever leaving, and that maintains their monopoly position. So when we were talking about this, Akil, who joins us regularly from India, made a really brilliant point about how difficult or easy would it be to have standardized data that you could export between these companies. And he knows damn well that's really, 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 really difficult to do that. Because, as I said, the 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 data and the amount of data signals that they have and the, the amount of data they collect about their users is, I said the word thousands. There are thousands of variables in their algorithms. And I know that because I helped, I was, me and Jason were building a search engine called Mahalo. And as part of that process, you get to learn a little bit about how complex these algorithms are, like Google's search recommendation results, that search engine result, the search engine result pages, you call them SERPs in the industry. And um, there's there are thousands of variables in these algorithms in terms of what you see on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or whatever. And he, the, the guy, so that's why uh, I wasn't surprised at all when the Instagram chief, Adam Mosseri, says, in short, it's complicated. Instagram uses thousands of signals to determine what you see. He's not kidding. There's literally thousands. But now you need to ask yourself, what are these thousands of signals? Well, they're data points about you. Thousands? There's thousands of data points about me? Well, yeah, there's a hell of a lot more data about you than you ever dreamed possible that they are including in these algorithms. And that was my point was when the government t approaches Facebook, Apple, Amazon, and Google and says, hey, we need a little more structured data so that your users can export their data, those big tech companies are going to be like, uh, that's not possible because we collect ridiculous, obscene amounts of data from our users that they aren't really aware that we collect. And so we can't, it, we're, no, we can't let them export it because then, then they'll know exactly what all we are collecting. And we're collecting 50 times, 100 times more than they think we are collecting. And that's why their algorithm, as he says himself, has thousands of signals to determine what you see in your feed. Well, how could they possibly have thousands of signals unless they are collecting way more data about you than you ever imagined? Akil? Yeah, it's not just Yeah, Tyler, this is Michelle Tyler. speaking. Mm -hmm. um, go ahead, Akil. No, no, please, Michelle, ladies first. No, I was just, I just wanted to say that portability will be 
technically possible. Yes. But again, yes. even when when we're talking about signals, yeah. it's what is powered on top of yeah. existing data. So it may not necessarily belong to an individual, but it's the micro intent learnings that comes out of that huge file of data. And it, it will not belong to me, for instance. Um, let's say if the algorithm thinks I'm likely to take an action, that's a learning, but in fact, it's not really my data. I don't know how to kind of, um, I don't know how to unpack it, yes, but per- that is actually what makes I, the I system works better. Yeah. You know? I, I think so, you're talking about data you give the platform and then there is data that the platform inferences from the data correct. that you've given them. So there are, two, there are actually two types of data right. that the platform Yeah, and then, I mean, if you export your data, the next website may not be able to kind of leverage it as those platforms are currently leveraging it. So that's uh, why the, the whole signal um, ecosystem is more complex than just using yes. 3 billion yes. people's data. Yes. You know? Yeah, Akil's, 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 go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, I just wonder, I'm sorry, Jeff again. Um, I'm just wondering why the U.S. uh, does not have any GDPR uh, kind of rules because it's a huge data privacy issue. And there's several lawsuits right now in in, in Europe uh, over, I don't know if you guys are familiar with FATCA. Uh, it's the Foreign Tax Compliance Act uh, that under Obama, they, they tried to track um, accounts overseas and affects a lot of us Americans living overseas. Um, and there's a lawsuit right now in, in the UK um, going after these people for data privacy. Mm. If I may just quickly add something, I... I think um, I just wanted to say California has the equivalent of GDPR, and I think it's kind of even more repressive in a way. But this particular topic is not this. I mean, GDPR will not solve for that because there is first party data and third party data. And I mean, I, I can unpack that another time. But I just want to say that we may be conflating a few things here. Yeah. Sorry, just to add on to what Michelle, Micheline said. Um, yes, that's correct. I mean, the, the California, in fact, um, sort of uh, introduced the CCPA, which is very similar to the GDPR, but, um, you know, covering for non-personal data is something that's still not um, being done um, progressively anywhere. And, um, you know, a sort of nationwide law for the U.S. is still required because, you know, just by virtue of incorporating yourself in any other state, um, you're able to sort of avoid, you know, the stringent requirements that California has. Todd, you just shared a, a relevant article. You want to touch on this one? On the AI? Todd McLeese, are you there? Sorry, yeah. Tyler. No I worries. had to get to my phone. Sorry no problem. That. So um, I would, it just Ben's comment yeah. on, um, on Go and so forth reminded me of what was going on with Google where um, Google now has AI that is designing chips, which in this room this week, somebody said isn't very difficult. And they're proving that they have an AI that is uh, doing chip design uh, that they are now manufacturing and they're saving thousands of human hours and developing chip designs that are actually teaching the experts how to design better. So the AI is outperforming humans and it's doing it in, a, in single digit hours just because it's analyzed so many different chip designs and it's teaching them how to design more efficiently and so forth. And many of those designs, just like in Go, where the AI developed new strategies that the grandmasters had never experienced, these chip designs were not intuitively better for the experts, but it turns out that they were. And so now it's, it's altering and taking thousands of hours of human effort away in future chip design. 
it's such a brilliant point uh, to as a follow-up to Ben's previous point uh, and the headline, and I just retweeted it from the Tech News Twitter account. I retweeted Todd's tweet, uh, which is Google researchers show artificial intelligence can design microchips uh, better and faster than humans can. So AIs are being used to develop chips for AI. And that gets into kind of the the robot start building itself better than the human can. And it starts, it's, it's, it's a wild, uh, <clears throat> you know, kind of uh, slippery slope from there. It's a brilliant art for sure. Yeah, the- yeah. Go ahead, Ben. Sorry, it's just, it's particularly with the reinforcement learning because it doesn't just make an incremental improvement on what we've done before. Uh, you know, so like uh, supervised learning, basically, it's like a scatter chart, draws a straight line through it and you can, you know, find something a little bit further along. But it just kind of starts from first principles. There's some, I saw some drone uh, chassis that uh, AI had produced, you know, the, the chassis for a drone, a flying drone. It looked just like it looked like an animal. It looked like it was made of bone. Um, and it was optimized for stiffness and weight and aerodynamics and all that together. And it just nothing. You could just look at it and say, a human would never design that. Yeah, I'll, it's, I'll it's, it's it amazing. Yeah, I mean, because um, we use uh, we use a lot of uh, CAD products and they do that's called generative design. And uh, when you let the CAD do it, you set the goals and the, the the shapes that come out are, like you say, they're organic, they're bones, they're optimized to, you know, minimize strength, the weight. It's it's like Mother Nature designed it. Yep. Go, yeah. Yeah. And you have to study it to work out what's so special about it. Because well, as, you said, as Tyler said a minute ago, your, your intuition as an expert fails you initially. You look at it and you think, mm, what the hell? And then you study it and you think, Christ, that's clever. So, you yeah. know what's funny about in this instance? Go ahead, Todd. Sorry. In this instance, they, they use the example of the AI designing using donut shapes for the chips in, in order to minimize the distance between um, the components of the chip. And to Chris, Chris, you made the interesting point that AI is making, you know, the most optimized designs based on shapes for weight you know, strength ratios ends up looking like things that nature would make and not man would make does question the intel, you know, that nature is itself, in fact, incredibly intelligent, that there is actually an, a supreme intelligence involved. In nature. Yeah, it, well, it's weird. Like there's I'm reading about this slime. It's a single celled slime, but it has memory and it, and it and it like knows how to find food and solve mazes and things. And it's just it's continually mind-boggling uh, how, how amazing the universe is. And, um, you know, to that point, I, I come from like an aquarium world in the past life, and I studied a lot about photosynthesis. And the thing that always struck me is I was reading a passage about uh, plants and their leaves. And the, the, the author described it as a three-dimensional antenna that's tuned to receive uh, a certain wavelength of light. <laughs> And when you think about it that way, it's like, whoa, that really is an antenna that is like moving in real time to collect light. And uh, uh, I, I can't wait to see what AI comes up with. Did you know there are... And to Tyler's point about the... Sorry, Tyler. Go no, go. I was just going to say, by the way, nature has now making solar powered plants that self-replicate, by the way. Go ahead, Ben. <laughs> well, to your point about the intelligence of nature, I mean, you give something billions of years of trial and error. And it is just remarkable what happened. I've been studying a little bit of tree surgery lately, or doing, I'm more action biased, doing a bit of tree surgery. Uh, only taken a small amount off the end of my fingers with a chainsaw so far. My, my eight-year-old son advised, hold it by the uh, handle and not by the blade. 
Uh, and one of the things about trees that I've just discovered is the mycelial network underground. There's this yep. underground, there's this fungal network for yep. communication between the trees. Lovely. And they can almost like inter IP routing. They can say, hey, this tree over here needs more yep. uh, needs more nutrients. It's just ridiculous. Okay, now... And, and so, so and tying that back to the reinforcement learning is the thing is that it's doing that. If the reinforcement learning has a sufficiently good model of the world that it's trying to improve, like you, that's tractable with something like a drone chassis. You know, we know enough about modeling aerodynamics and mass and, you know, airflow and all this. If it has a good enough model of the world, then it can just do that in its own brain. It can just do effectively millions of years of trial and error and evolution in a matter of hours. And that's the thing that, that's just incredible. And, and, and the more that they build the things model of the world, the more that it will be able to solve bigger and bigger and more and more real world problems. So it's, it's a pretty exciting area. Yeah, I'll, 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 being it's a very special Sunday unscripted version of tech news around the world, I will indulge and reveal something I've never, something very personal that is per, perhaps inappropriate, which is to your point, Ben, I, I also, you know, scientists are figuring out, researchers are starting to understand that plants are far more intelligent and complex than we assume. Or have assumed, and uh, and that how they communicate under the ground, and there's a lot of really incredibly highly intelligent behaviors going on. Um, that some of which can be seen through time lapse videos of beanstalks on YouTube videos, where they mm. they do incredible. It's basically they're moving at the pace of Earth, where a year is a day. You know, like the expansion of Earth is a breath uh, yeah, cycle. That's it. Yeah, and these. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, but the on, sorry, yeah, but these flow. these beanstalks uh, do. I, I have somebody please find me the video. I'll find it. It's these are truly will blow your fucking mind. And here's what happens: we'll get the YouTube video. We will tweet it so that you can see it. You have to see these. That you take two beanstalks that are in two little pots with a time lapse camera in a lab, and you put a pole between the two pots with the growing bean sprouts. And the, they come out of the ground as these tiny little beanstalks. They start growing up, up, up. And they start looking for something to grab onto so they can grow up, right? And when they have leaves that sprout out, they get light. They're solar powered in a sense. And then the two competing beanstalks uh, are looking for something to attach so they can climb up. As soon as one of the two grab the pole, it gets very strong and starts climbing up the pole very fast, as anyone knows who's ever done gardening. The shocking thing is somehow, for some reason, the other plant that didn't touch the pole knows that the other plant has touched the pole and grows up and the other plant dies knowing I'm no longer going to be able to grow because the other plant got the bean pole. Or got the... Are these plants connected? No, they're in no ways connected. But they are somehow communicating and one plant's telling the other plant, haha, I got the pole, you can die now because I'm the one who's going to grow up the pole and you're not. Wait, how is that possible? You watch the video, but it's not, it's still not understood. How... Chemistry. Tyler, yeah, chemistry. Yeah, there is. Tyler, that's super, that's super fascinating what you shared about that beanstalk because yeah. you can see it in some plants yeah. when you actually have plants in a pot. And the Dutch really like to garden. Yep. They really take this gardening seriously. And when you just watch them, and I lived in an ashram and I used to actually take care of the garden. And it, it was one of the things, it was a karma yoga that I did that. If you see this plant and then they're growing, they could be next to each other with their roots, but there is also that bit of the survival of the fittest with them as well. Yeah. Because I know, I swear, my plant during COVID killed off his, the other half of the plant 
just so that he could grow bigger. And I found it really fascinating because I just watched it and it was almost like he suffocated the other plant, but he grew super big. So, and I mean, whether it's he or she, it was just very interesting to see. Or the other plant gives up because it realizes the important part of its job is to spread the DNA of the plant. Correct. Exactly. (laughs) No, but that's also, I mean, I'm vegetarian. So yes, you're absolutely correct. But I think that's what's fascinating about nature is that they, because that, uh, the one that dies off just goes back into the soil. And then, of course, it just regenerates, right? Because that's how you could um, splice off and make a new plant is by cutting it on an angle and putting it in water until the roots grow. And then you've propagated another plant. So it, the the plants are just fascinating. I just, uh, by the way, thank you to Manaz in the audience uh, who just found the video I was looking for. I'm just tweeting it now. You have to watch this. It will absolutely blow your fucking yeah. mind. There's, there's another great, there's another great movie on this topic called the secret world of fungi about mushrooms. Yeah. And how in a similar way, yeah. they're all interconnected. I just tweeted that so as well. I'll, and I'll Tyler, your point about the time scales, yeah. I think is the crucial point, yeah. right? Is that if you just watch it sped up, and yeah. go to their time scale, then, then the simplest of plants look intelligent. And this reminds me of a comment, uh, again, at one of the universities, when, when, when the Cambridge universities were open for public lectures uh, before COVID, uh, one of the audience members asked, uh, oh, somebody super famous, what's his name? Doesn't matter, who cares? Some dude. Um, they said to him, what would it be like if a uh, artificial general intelligence was to have a conversation with a human? What would it be like for the artificial general intelligence? And he thought about it for a second. And he said it would be like a human talking to a tree. So hang on, hang on, and hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Are you ready for this? Now, I said I was going to share something inappropriate and very personal. So check this out. I've, we've done now nearly 200 episodes of Tech News Around the World. And this is the first time I've shared this. So should I? Should we all grab a chair? and Sit, sit down, down, folks. One, grab a chair. Have a seat. <laughs> I, well, about 20 years ago, when I was about 20-ish, I and my friends uh, ate a bunch of mushrooms, speaking of how mycelium helped communication between plants. And we took a particular type of mycelium called uh, psilocybin cubensis. And the what happened next, I had no idea what to expect. Nobody had told me what to expect. I'd never done anything like this before and had no expectations. I thought I was going to see, you know, flying uh, unicorns and rainbows and shit like that. That's not what happened at all. What happened is I'm walking through the forest and all of a sudden the trees starts talking to me telepathically and they tell me things that were not in my intellectual drawers or capacity previously. So this was incredibly foreign information that was coming to me that I was not privy to previously. So I don't think it was coming from within my own cranium. Um, and it would shook me to my core so much so that I've, I still and have spent 20 years investigating precisely what happened. And you get, that's a very deep rabbit hole indeed. Um, although you do find out it, this is actually incredibly common side effect uh, or f- effect of taking large doses of psilocybin is communication with, with mother nature and with plants. And she says very incredibly deeply um, profound things as she told me, and I'll just share with you what the, the message I was sent in the the message that i was told was uh you are humans we are the plants and the trees and you are very new on this planet that we've been here a long 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 time before you and you are a baby to us and we watch you with a lot of fascination and you think you're very intelligent and well we are too and uh you'll come to realize we're much more intelligent than you think and the same more importantly we are actually related that the same 
thing, this is the, the words that it communicated, although it was telepathically, the same thing that is of you that causes you to grow and age and die is the same precise system in us that causes us to be born and to grow and to age and to die. And we are actually cousins, in fact. And I, that was that thought was not in my brain. That was not a possible thought of, of my 20-year-old self. And it does turn out to be, just like as we are now learning decades later about mycelium and how plants do talk to each other and to animals, by the way, that they... Um, they do have RNA and, and they do operate on the DNA basis that humans do precisely as the plant was telling me, which I was shocked when I realized that later years later as part of my research as to what exactly was going on. And what I also learned was as part of when you're on a large dose of psilocybin, your regular human senses are greatly amplified. Your sight is actually improved and this is easily testable in a lab and has been tested many times. And your sight is improved, your hearing is magnified, your smell is wildly magnified, and your taste, holy shit, is your taste wildly amplified. And this is well known to anybody who's ever done these. But there's also, a, potentially, we, it is known that we have our regular senses and it is safe to assume that we uh, are not done evolving as organic beings and eventually we will evolve another sense and that sense is not yet fully evolved within the process it's in the the nascent embryonic stage where it's in between as our sight was at one point in between what it nothing and where it is today and our hearing evolved over time and we're in the process of developing another sense which is what animals undoubtedly all probably also have as well which is a telepathic ability to sense things between ourselves and plants and animals and when you're on psilocybin and your all of your senses are amplified so is this nascent embryonic sense that eventually will become more attuned which is this kind of telepathic ability to talk with plants and animals and maybe other people at a distance so um perhaps it's not a coincidence that you can talk with plants when you're on this because your senses are amplified in a way that they normally are not and that's just one theory. But it, I was always struck by that profound message. And I've never looked at plants ever the same way ever again. I now perceive them as conscious beings, as I, they told me they were. So um, that's so my... you, do, you, do you eat them, if though, I, Tyler? Yeah. I can add I, some science. Them. But um, yes, I... If I can add some science yeah. news, about, like news. I mean, a lab in Australia, a professor, she, um, she found that plants can make a conditioned memory. I don't know if anyone heard about it. This was a few years ago. Uh, she she did an experiment. She gave sunlight from a specific angle every day at the same time. And the plant then turns towards the light and, and opens up towards the light during that time. And she paired this um, food, basically, input uh, with a wind input um, from the same specific angle and wind or... Uh, some sort of you know movement of the air doesn't mean anything usually to the plants like they wouldn't turn towards it rather away so um after 10 days or so she um could just turn on that wind from this angle and the plant would turn towards that direction so the memory formed a conditioned memory just like the bell and the dog um, experiment Have that love, was yeah. done a long, long time ago. Yeah, I, don't, I, have a, I have a question. It is known that uh, the trees and plants communicate so, through the fungal system. Yeah, we just the, we were like talking about that a minute ago. Yeah, and they 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 also uh, um, communicate through pheromones. Yes, um, plants. Thank you. So, yep. Yeah. Exactly. We were just I, talking I have about. A, um, okay, hold that thought. I have a question. Go ahead. One second, Akil. So the. Yep. Um, 
Evan just tweeted and I just retweeted to the Tech News Twitter account, which you should absolutely follow. Um, T-N-A-T-W, the first letters of Tech News Around the World, the Secret Lives of Fungi, which I have seen, and it's fantastic. And other people are sending in other great articles like Katarina and, and Heyman. Um, go ahead, Akil. What was your question? Um, yeah, it's just a crazy thought that just entered my head. Uh, what if, um, you know, human beings have evolved in the future and we did invent time machines and the aliens that we see today are actually evolved human beings? Yeah, but we, that's, that's a, a common theory. So, Heyman... That's also why they can't say they're not extraterrestrial. They're very factual with their uh, terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing is, just to, just to temper that a tiny bit, forward time travel is completely easy. It happens every time you put something on. A, every time you drive in your car, you go forward in time a tiny bit. Every time you put an atomic clock on a satellite, it's going forward in time. Backwards, big problems, little China. Um, not, not clear ever going to be possible, but it causes some serious paradoxes. So just, yeah, backwards, tricky. Yeah, K- Katerina just shared the uh, one of the articles we wanted to share. Thank you, Katerina. The BBC article that says plants talk to each other using an internet of fungus, which is a, one of the best articles I've read in many years and about mycelium and how it connects plants. And they have their own internet that they communicate with. And um, that to that point, we talked yesterday about the incredible new technology of kind of bioengineering of making materials using fermentation as an alternative to making things out of plastics. Um, You can now make things um, out of biomaterials that are obviously have a much uh, less negative impact on the planet and are actually superior in many use cases. And this is an incredibly new, exploding new industry. It's very new, but it has incredible potential and so it's um, it's it's as crazy like- as it sounds to talk about plants and the Internet of plants. It isn't that crazy when you start talking about making things the same way nature is making things in a far more intelligent ways than humans do. And you start to realize, ah, humans make things in a, in a very incredibly unintelligent way compared to how nature make things. If you realize that plants are self-replicating solar powered um, edible robots of a sense that you know with auto tuning with auto tuning antennas yeah imagine if imagine if apple made you know uh an apple uh, how transformative of a technology that would be it's a new edible device that self-replicates that is solar powered and you know it's it it blows your mind when you start thinking of nature as a technology company yes i mean oh sorry tyler there was something having worked in the fashion industry for so long you and we're on the topic of mushrooms <laughs> and I actually brew my own kombucha and they've been using old um, scobies old scobies could be used to make leather like old kombucha scobies are being used to make leather a leather-like substance that could be used for clothing so it's super fascinating you're absolutely correct there's so many other materials that we can use we I, I do agree with the plants. I think the plants are looking at us like, uh, you know, when are you guys going to catch up to us? Because well, this I, the, I'm sorry. This is the other thing, that? Amy. This is hey, Gabby. Man. This is hey, why guys. I challenge those that think about climate change. Because Tyler is right. The thing about humans is we continue to evolve. We should never move off fear. That's where we, that's where we sidestep. When you move off fear, you make quick, time-sensitive decisions, but they're not necessarily always the best decisions. Agreed. Uh, for those of you who remember the, the Japanese earthquake about 10 years ago, 
there were a lot of people uh, that mentioned that there was a lot of uh, odor, special odor coming from flowers and trees just, just before that earthquake happened. And I can't remember where I saw the information, but this was online just after the earthquake. People were reporting that they had some uh, they, they could smell some senses from plants and, and, and trees Jeff, and stuff like that during that time. Jeff, I've uh, Tyler, you're going to remember this one because you're in uh, you're where you are during the tsunami, that big, massive tsunami that hit the animals themselves were going up land I, hours funny, before that tsunami hit. Yeah, that, I may yeah. funny you say that that was 60 minutes, by the way. Not only do I remember it, I know the source. Because that struck me so yeah. hard, because I got into a huge, I got into a huge yeah, debate totally. with somebody at that time, which is that animals uh, hours before the Thai tsunami started running for high ground, and the tourists were like, Correct. "What the fuck is going on?" And there was, um, mm. yeah, the animals. But it's well. By, by the way, it's also been recorded at the Pompeii volcano. It was recorded that the animals were freaking out hours before the eruption of Pompeii, which destroyed the whole city of Pompeii. If you've ever been there, you know what I mean. Um, yeah. So it's, it's well observed that historically that animals clearly have some sense of, you know, well, Mother Nature's, you know, uh, rumbling hours back, before. This goes back. Sorry. This also goes back to what Gabby's saying. The, 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 if I could take that what Gabby was saying a little bit further. Animals are sentient beings as well. And I believe that animals could have bigger and more senses than us as humans. I also do agree with your experience, Tyler, because I have a lot of Dutch that have experienced similar experiences and also my friends that have done ayahuasca. So this is something very interesting because it's almost like um, the human con the human is a condition where we we get so clouded by this illusion of what we see here that we're forgetting, as Gabby mentioned, that we're part of this greater ecosystem. But if we if we start to act individual as we don't belong to it, then that is in fact where we will see probably some crazy shit going down. Well, there's. I mean, in, in case you guys don't know this, I just want to leave y'all with this. I was a child prodigy. I don't just get on the stage to disrupt. Like, I will tell you my full first name and last name so you can look me up. There, to tie it back to tech for a second, it's actually, I mean, for those outside of Silicon Valley, it's worth noting at this moment that the core of Silicon Valley and part of the reason uh, that that innovation happened in that area uh, primarily was because there was silicon in the ground that HP, Hewlett Packard, and Intel used that silicon. However, the kind of experimentation that is known and is such an integral part of tech innovation in the Bay Area and the Steve Jobs era and the um, their, the psychedelic element of Silicon Valley between the Google founders, by the way, very notably. And um, I don't want to name names, but it's part of the um, uh, fabric of Silicon Valley is a, a bit of this psychedelia, in fact, and even the, um, especially the the real geeky engineers like Danny Hillis, who created the RAID architecture that you know, enables you know the the computer systems that we the cloud infrastructure that we everything operates on today. But um, it's a it's all a very interesting and um, and the conversations that I've had with the the most high profile people in Silicon Valley at dinners uh, almost always come back to this 
these conversations that we're having right now about around psychedelics and um, the messages. They're they're trans they're trans and like. I, I was yesterday, I, I did a room um, through the Quantum Photonics Hub with uh, Ronald Sirquel, and um, next week we will have Miguel Nicolelis. Ronald Sirquel was one of the Blue Brain Projects, like the Human Brain Projects beginners. Uh, he stepped away from it, though, and Miguel Nicolelis the same way, because they say the further we move away from perceiving nature, the more we are reducing our intelligence and our brain ability to pick up signals because how we perceive ourselves becomes the reality. For example, from Oliver Sacks, uh, there were these patients, they made um, uh, this patient see again. But because the environment so were so used to have that patient being blind, they treated him like a, continuously treated him like a blind person or these patients and they became blind again. They were physically able to see, but because their self-perception and the perception from the environment was that they are blind, they became blind again. The other thing uh, Miguel Nicolelis did was this uh, very famous exoskeleton um, show uh, during the FIFA World Soccer Championship um, in Brazil, where um, he made basically this, this paralyzed person um, walk again with the exoskeleton, what additionally happens was that they can't really explain is that the, you know, you do, when you're paralyzed, the problem is not just the movement of the skeleton muscles themselves, but also the digestive system and all this homeostasis system stopped working also. And these improved, but they were not trained at all. But the self-perception, because the patients were always looking into the mirror while walking and behaving normally, the self-perception changes what you can actually perceive. So all that matters is actually what you, what your brain makes up as a reality. And they wrote this book, Relativistic Brain, which is really important. So basically they say through um, changing our environment to a mechanistic world and um, zero one binary world, um, we basically keep, <laughs> I'm using a stronger word, amputating our abilities more and more. Um, and it's it's a very interesting book. And um, if you have time next Saturday, Miguel Lucullelis, this he is a, one of the best neuroscientists in the world to be in the quantum photonics room next Saturday. Katerina, could you post that book? Could you post the title yeah. of that book? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And they say emotions. It's Amy. Sorry. The less um, the less fragmented um, perception we can have, because language is already very fragmented and abstracted so it's not close to actual reality and what we would be able to perceive we basically already through starting to use language we reduce our abilities to perceive and um yep it's very interesting and they are very concerned about the intelligence and in humans being um reduced more and more by being focused on only a few very specific um abilities due to more and more technology taking over we do, though, also have to accept that our brains do, are wonderful at creating things. And, um, you know, case in point yesterday, Google self-driving bicycle, clearly to clearly bollocks. Right. And then, I, you know, find the source and then then, you know, animals run up hills before an earthquake. Maybe. But maybe animals run up hills regularly and then the earthquake happens and we make that connection. Nobody said anything um, about just, earthquakes, uh, Ben. I talked about a tsunami and a volcano. A tsunami. Yeah. 
as in an earthquake under the sea. I mean, that's what I mean by tsunami. No, not but, at all. Um, the, okay, well, I mean, earthquake, different topic maybe. But the thing is, I do find that we like to come up with explanations for things that are a little bit exotic when the world is fascinating enough as it is. And we don't, you know, we just don't necessarily need uh, magic when there's so much magic already. That's, that's, all, that's all I would say. The, the world's there's so no magic needed so at all, Ben. There's videos of the animals running to high ground on video. I don't need magic. Yeah, sure. But when... Ben, Ben, yeah, Ben, yeah. you're just and, doing and then... pattern recognition based on your past experience. But our journey of discovery is not that things don't exist. It's just that you have not experienced or discovered it yet. You just have to continue to discover new things. Yeah, Ben, don't oh, yeah, be afraid yeah. to possibly. change either. Don't be afraid yeah, to change. Yeah. No, 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 it's no, coming. Not it's inevitable. And diversity. No, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of people who also say that they can predict earthquakes. And I, 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 I'm to the opinion that I, I believe it. I think some people do have the ability to do that. Tyler, why don't, why don't we use them for earthquake detection then? I mean, I'm not no one's talking about earthquakes, Ben. We're talking about a tsunami no, no, and a volcano. So, okay, all, okay, all tsunamis, just, all tsunamis then. Um, why don't share... we use animals for detection? Because it's so important to be to get the humans away from the coast. I mean, we should. If they can predict it, let's use them because it could save so many lives. I, I don't. I, or detection, I or detection. Yeah, but I if they're like... running away an hour or two earlier than the humans, why don't we stop? Make a startup that 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 somehow detects that in animals so that we can run away from the coast in response to the animals running away to save human lives that would be awesome we have we, the primitive people did that because that's we have better we have sensors we can put in the ocean to measure the ocean rising see, of a tsunami yeah like tyler i think the part of it that there's better solutions is the answer yeah. to your question ben yeah i, I was speaking of uh of technology and and earthquakes i know Keep saying that earthquakes is not the subject, but a very long time ago, something years ago, when I was uh, working at my first startup company, one of the employees um, was still getting his PhD from Stanford, and they were studying very low frequency radio waves for the purposes of submarine communication. And this was really like 0.1 hertz, it was very low frequency. And uh, they buried uh, um, some antennas in the ground, both in California and the East Coast. And the California uh, antenna happened to be uh, buried right near where the big earthquake happened in 89. And when that happened, it took the power out on the test system. But when they finally got up there to, to uh, see it, they, they saw signals coming way before the earthquake um, that when you looked at the data, you just couldn't assume anything else except that. Yes, this was definitely a precursor. And there were some reasons, uh, and they wrote up uh, academic papers and they recreated this thing. Uh, it never became a useful um, way of detecting earthquakes because there was so much noise, like uh, the BART trains, which were like really far away, would be detected from this thing. And so you'd want to put it near a city to help protect the city, but the noise levels uh, would be very, very high. But there were some things that were scientifically you know, measured uh, way ahead of an earthquake, uh, which was explained, by the way, as being uh, the beginning of like water rushing underground. And just like you can't hear sounds out uh, on the other side of a wall unless they're very bass sounds, you don't hear the higher frequencies through the wall. Well, this is super, super bass sounds, basically, that they felt were being uh, you know, transmitted uh, changes underground that we wouldn't detect otherwise. And very, very interesting that little episode and uh, I can't remember I think CNN came to interview him at the office and things like that 
after this happened. Uh, but it never really, as far as I heard later, never really led to some really useful predictive uh, capability. Anyway, little side note there. Can I add here? So when I was younger, I did a, a experiment, the effect of electromagnetic radiation on Drosophila. And so that's basically the effect of radiation on fruit flies, the flies that come in and out of our house. What I used to do to, I was probably 15 at the time, maybe younger when I did this experiment, um, what, and back then, the thought was that cell phones had so much radiation that they would cause these uh, de deformations like cancer and such like that in humans. And <clears throat> the science I used that took me to that experiment was ex actually based out of Germany, where there was these families around this big power plant that was giving off a bunch of radiation. And the mothers that were having babies were having babies with certain birth defects. And so I decided, you know, to use my prototype type as a fly. And so when I started seeing the theories of 5G and how it was getting people to think that 5G was here to, I was like, wow. So you have to pay attention to the media. That's where I want to start with this. And you also have to pay, pay attention to the federal government. They use animals when they want to. For example, when you take a flight, they use dogs to sniff for drugs. Is it exactly accurate? No, they choose when they want to use animals. And I'm done speaking. Gabby, what, uh, what sort of wavelength was that radiation you were exposing, the, that, that uh, radiation exposing the flies to? It varied. I, I have to look. I still have the files, but it varied. Some were exposed to stronger wavelengths, so some were exposed to uh, little, and I had a control case. So we, we have now gone 10 minutes over the clubhouse town hall meeting, which is... Uh, many people are DMing me as, as now underway. So we will meet you over there. I, I like listening to that uh, myself. But uh, thank you for joining us for an, the unscripted, unscheduled Sunday uh, free flow um, jam thank session. Thank you for doing it, Tyler. Yeah. Right, and thank you for our opening. Thank you. It was great. Thanks, Tyler. Yeah, thanks, thank Tyler, for everyone. taking your time out on Sunday. No thank worries. You. Yeah, thanks for doing we'll, that. We'll see you thanks Monday. Taylor, thanks, guys. I'll see you over at the town hall. Thank you for coming. Already? Yeah. Take care. Love you guys. Have a great, Bye. Have a great weekend. Bye. Bye. See you guys and girls. Man. Bye.